you know, at the end of the day, oh great, I don't have hot flashes, but I'm still gonna have all these potential for disease states. Like instead of medicalizing it to create drugs that really are just there as a band-aid to cover up a symptom, instead of correcting the underlying problem, which is repairing the hormone balance by replacing what is no longer being made, to me is just a joke and it is the continued perpetuation of cover a symptom rather than fix it. And it's and it's the reason why functional medicine is growing rapidly is because I think that the population just as a whole says, you know what, I don't want to do that anymore. I'd like to kind of fix the problem. You know, instead of adding a patch to my tire every time I get a hole in it and letting the air run out of it constantly, why don't I go get a new damn tire, right? Welcome to the Menopause Mastery Podcast, a show for women just like you who are ready for more health, vitality, passion, living life with a purpose. I created this show because I knew that women just like me in this second season of life, the season of menopause, are really tapping into their deepest desires. And we're ready to harness our physical and mental health and explore what our true passions are and peel back the layers to uncover exactly what we want out of life. I'm your host, Betty Murray, part geek, part magician, and your new medical bestie with a dash of sass. I love taking the complex science and making it easier to integrate into daily life. So let's join the journey to make this season the best ever. Welcome back to Menopause Mastery. So today, you know, it's funny. I was this whole month. So this is Menopause Awareness Month. And, you know, I'm, I'm always thinking about, gosh, you know, A number one, I don't think we need just a month. I think we need massive movement. <laughs> but we have a month to pay attention to menopause. And this podcast will go out right at the end of uh, October and actually the first day in November. But it was, uh, it was some things I was doing over the weekend made me feel like, gosh, I feel like I need to have this conversation at a greater level. And essentially, here's what it is. You know, I was looking through the technology available for women. So uh, as background, I am, I am looking at doing some massive things for women and women's health. And so I was out looking at all of the apps that are available online that uh, were designed for women in menopause. And there's, there's a few, like a handful, like less than a handful. And the majority of them are doing a couple different things. So they're first off checking symptoms. Right. So they're looking at symptoms and saying, okay, are you having these symptoms? To what degree are they problematic for you? And then most of the apps are offering some level of education and then some level of community. Right. You know, think of it as kind of the period tracker app for women, (laughs) for women over 45 who are tracking your menopausal symptoms. Right. So that's an advantage because I think a lot of women, particularly when they're in that early transition period, they can't tell whether their symptoms they're experiencing are really menopause or are they, you know, something different. Right. So I think tracking symptoms are great. But what got me going, because I know you love it when I get frustrated. What got me going is the majority of these apps, their education was centered around basically the modern myth and the westernized conventional medicine uh, approach to menopause, which is this is a cognitive behavior therapy problem. You know, that menopause is not a physiological change and a sign of accelerated aging. That menopause, yes, is natural, but of course menopause and surviving a long time after it is not natural. The current medical establishment sees that the symptoms and also the accelerated aging and disease progression that accelerates once we go through menopause as a pesky side effect that we need to deal with and that if we just did some, you know, 
talk therapy, cognitive behavioral therapy, like reframing and other things that those symptoms would go away. And that's totally fine. So you guys know that this, you know, basically pisses me off because I think if we were to look at the vast majority of men and if they were to experience the same symptoms and be told, you know what, you need to spend some time in a therapy chair and you need to work on your headspace and get okay with the fact that you feel like crap, have no libido, you're your vaginal canal and the area down there is like the Sahara Desert. And oh, by the way, you're going to have osteoporosis, dementia and cardiovascular disease accelerating at a rapid rate. And you know what, and your metabolism isn't going to work well, and you're going to age more quickly. Tough titty, right? Tough titty. That is just something you're going to have to learn to deal with. And I think you need to do some meditation and work on your headspace, right? So so for the last week, I've been, you know, frustrated by that. And I said, okay, even though I'm going to probably, this is going to land in your inbox right after Menopause Awareness Month, I still think it's important. So I want to make sure we wrap this wrapper of menopause in an important wrapper. And it's the understanding that this is a medical health crisis. It is a huge medical health crisis. And it is something that uh, in the workplace we need to address. It's something that we need to address uh, medically. As a matter of fact, earlier last month, right at the end of the month, I actually published an article in brainsmagazine.com online. I'm one of their contributing editors about menopause in the workplace and how to start rethinking this. You know, because the numbers of women going through menopause are just accelerating. And, you know, the reality is by 2030, hey, guess what? 1.2 billion of us will be in menopause. That is a gigantic driving force. And it's a gigantic driving force of women who don't want to feel bad, who want to have a great life, and who want to slow the ravages of aging. You know, because the reality is, if we look at all the young longevity space, you know, and everybody's talking about it, you know, Peter Atia, who I absolutely adore, his book, Outlive, is amazing. David Sinclair's work is amazing. We are on the precipice of the capacity to really, really slow down the ravages of aging. And also, in many cases, probably in our lifetime, we might be able to halt it right, in reality, or at least halt it significantly with, you know, genetic therapies and just every every other thing you can imagine. Because the truth is, if we medicalized aging, if we said, hey, you know, the act of aging, yes, it is something that occurs, but if we medicalized it, we'd actually put money towards research, which right now we really don't. You know, it's, it's only when we're studying diseases does money get spent to actually do something effective, not just cover up symptoms, but actually improve it. Uh, going through menopause is a aging process, and it is an aging process that is accelerating women's aging. Because the reality is, is as a woman, we are protected against heart disease, dementia, osteoporosis, you know, all forms of cancer for the most part when we are still ovulating, why we are still reproductive. And our and our risk for those things go up dramatically when we go through it because it is an accelerant to lose ovarian function functioning to the aging process, right? So, you know, the, the truth is, is we suffer and women suffer every day, and we suffer at work, we suffer at home, we suffer everywhere, because it affects everything from productivity to well-being. And, you know, the, the truth is, is what I was writing about in the Brains magazine, is this is costing billions of dollars to businesses by ignoring it, and by the medical system basically considering it a headspace problem for women, and that, you know, you just need to learn how to think about it differently. And again, if a man was having four or five hot flashes within, th- you know, three hours of a three hour long whipping of a meeting in a business meeting, 
something would change, right? Something would change. And I hate it, guys. If you're listening to me and you're like, oh, man, she's fired up. It's true. It's true just because we are in a misogynistic medical industry. And that's just the reality. And even though we've made major headways since the late 90s by at least including some women in research, we are very far from leveling that playing field. You know, so I think we have to understand a couple things. So today I want to talk about like the ovaries, how they play a role influencing the heart, the brain your immune system, your metabolism, just briefly, and then talk about the things that we can look at, right? So, you know, our ovaries really are the unsung hero of all of our body systems as a woman. So that, you know, the the ovaries affect the heart, they actually affect your vascular system, keeping the blood vessels clear and open and reducing inflammation. And we are protected. Estrogen, we have receptors on those cells and the estrogen is protective. But as we go through menopause and beyond, the loss of estrogen increases placking in all artery structures. So that increases placking in the brain, in the small arterial vessels in the brain, in and around the heart, the carotids. And so we see a greater risk for cardiovascular event and stroke, and we also see an increased risk for hypertension, right? If we look at our brain, so obviously that's going to affect blood flow to the brain. Uh, Glucose is actually modulated by estrogen, particularly in the brain. So our brain's ability to use glucose properly loses some regulatory capacity with the loss of ovarian estrogen. Right? So that's why women carry a greater risk for uh, dementia and Alzheimer's than men. It's not just that we outlive them by a year, year and a half, two years. It's truly because, because we lose some of that protective capacity of estrogen. It also helps modulate neurotransmitters. It has a heavy impact on the memory structures of the brain. And estrogen also works on the cannabinoid system of the brain. So if you've ever looked at mar- medical marijuana and THC and some of that research, there's a protective mechanism of of estrogen in the brain and it's part of it is that cannabinoid system and it affects pain and everything else. So we've got estrogen acting in the brain. Now it's well understood that estrogen, ovarian estrogen specifically, estradiol, is protective to the bones. It actually helps increase bone building activity and reduce the reabsorption of bone. And it doesn't matter, even in a man, if you suppress estrogen, you increase their risk of osteoporosis. So estrogen plays that role in both men and women, but of course the greatest risk for osteoporosis, which is one of the leading cause of of, um, kind of accident injury mortality over the age of, of 60 and 65, it's absolutely vital to women because we carry such a great risk for osteoporosis. And it's really truly that loss of estrogen. So our first line defense when we're losing bone, shouldn't be a bone reabsorption drug or an anabolic, it probably should be, oh, I don't know, restoring the hormone that keeps that homeostasis in place to begin with. And we even have drugs that are selective estrogen receptor modulators that hit the estrogen receptor B receptor. We have an A and a B. A is inflammatory and cancer-provoking. B is considered safe, right? We even have drugs that are called CIRMs that do that as well. You know, at the end of the day, I look at it and I go, hmm, wouldn't it be better to use 
bioidentical hormone. That might be better to help protect women and their bones. And we can look at a hundred other things, obviously libido, mood, skin elasticity, all of those other things, collagen production. All of our body systems are, are have some receptor activity to estrogen. So consider that a big controller. And with women living well past their 80s and losing ovarian function at least 30 to 35 years in, in advance of that is a modern phenomenon, right? So it is a modern phenomenon. So when we look at the two arguments of how we look at menopause, we have one group that goes, well, this is a natural function of aging and it is a natural process. Yeah, yeah, it is. But living past reproductive age significantly, you know, decades is not natural, right? So, so yes, I agree. But if we see accelerated aging and we have figured out medically and through sanitization and everything else, how to extend our lifespan, if we can medically do the same thing for our ovarian function, it only makes sense to replace and repair, right? So we could look at it, yes, naturally, right? Naturally. And then the argument also is to medicalize this. And I mean this in a way, like, I don't like the idea of medicalizing it. We have, you know, medications that they created that are hypothalamic controllers that are basically um, a drug that instead of repairing the estrogen activity goes in and sort of modulates the hypothalamus so you don't get hot flashes. Yeah, that was that Super Bowl ad that I went off on. You know, at the end of the day, oh, great, I don't have hot flashes, but I'm still going to have all these potential for disease states. Like instead of medicalizing it to create drugs that really are just there as a Band-Aid to cover up a symptom, instead of correcting the underlying problem, which is repairing the hormone balance by replacing what is no longer being made, to me is just a joke. And it is the continued perpetuation of cover a symptom rather than fix it. And it's and it's the reason why functional medicine is growing rapidly, as I, because I think that the population just as a whole says, you know what, I don't want to do that anymore. I'd like to kind of fix the problem. You know, instead of adding a patch to my tire every time I get a hole in it and letting the air run out of it constantly, why don't I go get a new damn tire, right? You know, so this really honestly is a public health crisis because at the end of the day, if we look at the lifespan and health span, as a country, America has the worst outcomes and the most expensive health care. Well, you know that 1.2 billion women? We're going to enter into that health care system and continue to spend money on patches and other things to take care of these uh, medicalized symptoms where we aren't taking care of the just the underpinning problem as a whole. So the truth is, is this is a huge medical health system problem and it is going to cost the country more and it's going to cost every westernized country more. But I'm speaking mostly to America because, you know, we just suck when it comes to outcomes, when it comes to medicine. We just do. And we have to we have to make that change. The industry will not change it. There is too much money being made by people being sick and staying sick. And you know what, we vote with our dollars and we walk away from the things that are no longer working, right? So there's a business cost and there is an operational cost and there's a, a cost to the country, right? And you know what the truth is, health and prosperity are interlinked, right? Your personal prosperity, the way you feel, the way you operate in the world, your well-being, how you see the world, and also your financial prosperity. If we're, our brains aren't able to work and we aren't able to sleep and we are dazed and confused and foggy-brained and angry, 
I would say that would probably affect your brain function and also your capacity to, I don't know, earn a living, leave a mark on the world, write the great book that you've got coming, make the movie that you want to do, paint the next Sistine Chapel, whatever that might be, is going to be affected by your hormones, right? The other thing is we have to look at, you know, really what our potential solutions are, right? So as we wrap up this whole month of menopause awareness, we have to understand, number one, that I think in truth, we have to, to some degree, medicalize and make aging a disease state as, as we see it in a framework in the United States, because that means NIH will put money to it right? Then when you look at aging as a disease state, right? Menopause as the accelerant to female aging is then also something they will put money to, not just covering up symptoms, but actually intervening to reverse the ravages of aging. Now, what does that mean? That means that we get more coverage for things like bioidentical hormones. That means that we get more research that's not Uh, botched research and crappy research like the Women's Health Initiative, right? We get legitimately well-designed studies that look at women's health. We get money going towards, you know, brain and dementia research looking at, at how we can protect our brains. We get money going towards women centric, women designed protocols, products, services, medications, you know, I'm, I'm a nutritionist, right? I don't prescribe. But the reality is, is sometimes we need medications and sometimes they're amazing. But if we're never ever looking at how to correct the underlying problem, when we go to spend money on research, then we're just flapping in the wind. We're, we're guessing at the best, at the best part we're guessing. So the truth is, is I look at this and I say, okay, The reality is we need to medicalize menopause and we need to do that so we can spend money on it and we can start putting women's health care on the agenda. As businesses, we need to look at the transition of menopause and recognize that it has an impact on our entire system and that it is something that we have to address as businesses and make sure that the women who are in our organizations at probably the prime of their life, really, this is where we have the greatest impact that we need to support women in this transition and make sure that the environment is supportive for their needs just as much as it is as for men, right? So, you know, I don't know what that is, but I can tell you when I was in IT, if I got invited to another damn golf game because I was in an all-male department, I just wanted to scream. Not that I think all women, you know, don't like golf. It's just one of those things that's too slow moving for me. But you know, at the end of the day, I worked in an environment before I went into healthcare, went before I went back to school and changed my career. And I was in a system where it was 100% male all the time. Everything that was done to create team building and everything else was all very male centric, right? So, you know, what's the female centric things we can do for women within the business world to help them feel connected and also help them work through this transition in a way where they're actually impacting their business and the the people they work with at a much greater way. And I'd say the last thing is it is a public health crisis. If we're looking at 1.3 billion women will be in menopause by 2030, we have to start addressing this because at the end of the day, we don't have the financial wherewithal to keep our entire system running if everybody is going to have a massively declining health span but live for another 35 years because that's the reality. What we want is a health span 
that matches our lifespan. And that requires us to intervene and not allow the ravaging of aging, of which menopause is the greatest accelerant for women, to take our life. So you can tell I'm chapped. <laughs> I'm just chapped. So I hope... I hope this was meaningful for you. And I, you know, and I'd say the other thing, this, you know, this is a kind of a summary of a lot of the things I talk about all the time, but it is also a little bit of a battle cry. It is a little bit of a battle cry that if you feel like this is something that frustrates you as much as it frustrates me, then know that, you know, there's a movement coming right? Oprah's talking about menopause. We've got women all over. We have Natalie Jill, who's going to be on in a, in a few weeks, and we're going to interview her. We've got huge individuals that are reaching out into their, into their population and their tribe and really bringing this information to the forefront. You know, myself included, but I got an itty bitty tribe, but I love you all. And at the end of the day, we have the ability to step in and change these things for women and make, you know, by 2030, women in this age group, a, a real force to be reckoned with. And so if you also are really frustrated by what you see in the world, now's the time to step up. Now's the time to step up, step out, say something, get involved, and make sure you feel good as you go through this transition. So thank you for listening to Menopause Mastery. If you liked this show, give me a thumbs up. If you're listening to it, don't forget to hit the little subscribe button. I can't begin to tell you how much that really means. And if you loved this show, please share it with a friend because this is how podcasters get known. This is a labor of love and a labor of effort. And I just love, love talking to you each week. And I love to reach out and hit more and more women's inboxes every day. Have a great day, and I'll talk to you next week. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Menopause Mastery Podcast. You are why I'm here, and I am so very grateful. Hit subscribe so you don't miss any wisdom on creating the most exceptional life on our terms. If this episode has helped you in any way, please share it with a friend to spread the love, and together we rise. You can follow me on social media at Betty Murray PhD. And you can reach me online at bettymurray.com. 